got your Bibles, let's go ahead and open up to Psalms 103, 1 through 2. There we go. Y'all didn't know it, but the monitors have been off this whole time. Figured it out for you, Mom. She was up there like, what is going on? And it just dawned on me. I can't hear myself, so the amps have been off this whole time. Amen. Amen. Thank you uh, to our musicians and our singers and guest drummer again. Man, what an incredible job. So glad to have him with us today. Psalms 103, verses 1 and 2, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not. Everybody say, forget not all his benefits. Forget not. For a few moments, I want to talk about this topic right here when God becomes boring when God becomes boring my second title is familiarity breeds contempt I struggled which one to go with so I just chose both and I'll bring out both today this is not a message. I don't want you to say, oh, Lord, here goes Pastor. He's going to step in our toes today. No, this message is for everyone in this room, me included. Th this is a message today that I understand where God is taking us as a church. And I understand that as you live life sometimes, that you get caught up in just life itself. And that you can be around things so much that you can become familiar to it. And there is danger in being familiar to things. So today I want us to, I want us to uh, take a moment and just think back. Before I even start, I want you to think back to that first encounter you had with God. Think back to that first time that God did something for you. Maybe it was in these altars. Maybe it was somewhere else. Maybe it was a different church. I know we've got somebody who that it's visiting from, from Middleport today. We're so glad to have you here. So glad to have you with us. But I want you to think back to, to that that journey you made to him for the first time and how sweet it was how powerful it was how life-changing that it was when you met him for the first time this this song came out and i don't know if you all want to take this just going to throw it out there for all call. just going to toss it out there if you want to pick it up you can you don't have to but there's a song that says take me back take me back to the lord to the place where I first received you. Take me back. Anybody know it? Take me back to you, Lord, where I first believed. Let's sing it again. Take me back. And take me back to you, Lord. To the place where I first received you. And take me back. And take me back, dear Lord, where I first believed. One more time, that's beautiful. Take me back, Lord. Take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first received you. Take me back, take me back, oh Lord. Take me back, dear Lord, where I first 
feels good in this place right now. Come on, thank God right now for that first time you met him. That place where you met him, it changed your life forever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That's my goal today in this message, is not to step on toes. My, toes, my, my, my goal is not to, uh, to make somebody you know, feel uncomfortable. My, my goal today is that right there. Lord, take me back. Take me back to that passion. Take me back to that desire, God. Take me back God, when I first believed. I'm telling you, and, and I, I realized this growing up in church. I, 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 I see it now, especially pastoring that. If, if you, want, you want somebody, and don't take this wrong, you want somebody that's on fire and passionate to go get souls, you find the one soul that was just saved not too long ago. On Easter Sunday, you know who had more guests than anybody else? Those who are, have been here within the last year knew. They had more guests than anybody else here, including me. It was an eye-opener. What would happen if God would take us back and that we would live that life? We'd pack this place out. We would pack this place out. Amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, when God becomes boring. You may be seated. I want us real quick to define what does it mean to be familiar. It is one who is often seen and is well known. One who is well acquainted with something. One who frequents a place. That sounds familiar. You think is your Christian life, you could define yourself right in these words. One who is often seen and well known. That we see the presence of God in our life all the time. One who is well acquainted with something. I'm pretty sure if you spend time in his presence, you're acquainted with who he is. One who frequents a place. I would say most of the church is pretty faithful of frequenting this place right here we call our home and the house of God. You see, the familiar sounds like a good thing when you start talking about this to a pastor. That's good to be in the house of God all the time. That, that's good to know who he is. And that, that's good to see him and see his presence all the time. If I could just get a little less monitor now, if you don't mind. It, it's good to know who he is. It's, it's, well to, it's good to visit him often. It's, it's good to have be in his presence a lot. But familiarity can be a bad thing at times as well. And I suppose on some levels that it is a good thing. It is a place of comfort. But a lot of people die in a place of comfort. Comfort. It's hard to grow when you like to be comfortable because change is associated with growth. Just the other day, one of my boys said, my legs have been hurting really bad. Bad. I said, that's, that's growth pains. We've all had them. That means you're getting taller. You got to pay a price. It's not comfortable in that place. But I promise you, when you're a little older and you're not the same height you are now, you're going to be thankful for those pains. It's like maybe your favorite pair of jeans that are all stretched out. And now they actually fit comfortably. You know what I'm talking about. And then they get washed and you're like, they don't fit anymore. What happened? The washer did this to me. How dare you, dryer, shrink my jeans. And you got to stretch them back out where they're comfortable again. Or like that favorite pair of your shoes that you have that, that you wear and, and you just wear. There's not much left of them because you wear them, but they're so comfortable. And you come home and they're gone one day. And you're like, what happened? Where did my shoes go? And your wife just grins at you. And says, the trash already came. 
and I'm not going to the landfill and go dig them out. You're familiar with them. They, they're comfortable to put on. It, it's, it's that place of, of comfort, that place of familiarity that can be a dangerous place to find yourself in. That we, we, don't, we don't think that, you know, really what, what, what harm could it bring to me? How could this really hurt me? It can be a dangerous place to be in. There's nothing like moving to a new place and, and not being familiar with that place or with the roads. Not knowing where to go or what exit to take and no direction of where you're going. Constantly getting lost until you, uh, you live there long enough and then you drive the roads enough that you're now the person telling people how to get around and giving directions. Remember when I first got here that people would say, you know, what, what road is this on? You take this one road, go down until you run into this, and then you make a right. You know, now I'm to the place where I could tell you. I could tell you after almost five years, I could tell people how to get to places because it's familiar to me. I've been here long enough. You, you kind of just, you, you understand how to give directions. I'll never forget that, I, I believe I got this story right. I don't know, I'm getting older. My memory, you know, I'm getting a lot of gray hair, turning 40 this year. And uh, I know some of you out there are like all young and you remember what it was like. But I'll never forget, I believe it was our first trip we took to New York City together. We were newly married and we thought we could take on the world. It was one of those trips where I came in from work, and we said, what are we doing for New Year's? And we had this crazy, young, newlywed idea that we would drive to New York and watch the ball drop. Much older and a lot more wisdom now. That was a horrible idea. We got there and we realized that we hadn't booked a hotel. There was no hotels available anywhere, so we slept in our car in the hotel parking lot. That was fun times. That's what you do before you have four kids or just one. But I'll never forget that, you know, we were taking the subway thinking, oh, we got this. I mean, we're young and, you know, we, we know all this technology. We, we got this. This is nothing. We can do this. And we found ourselves, after thinking we knew what to do, we found ourselves at the end of the tracks in the middle of nowhere and the conductor of the subway car gets off, walks off into a building, leaving us sitting there very confused with a very unique individual sitting there reading a book, I think she was. And we just looked at each other and said, where are we? I don't know. And there's no one driving this subway car. So we're stuck where we are. I have no idea. I still to this day can't tell you where we were at. It was in Jersey somewhere, which is not great. <laughs> but we found, we found ourselves very confused, and it, it, was, it was something that we had, we had never done before, but we thought we could take it on. But after our third time making that trip, we were actually the ones standing on the corner helping tourists how to get around the city because we had went three times and we had spent almost a whole week there and walking around and taking cabs. That's an experience. Hallelujah. They prefer sidewalks than more than roads. Um, not kidding. And I thought I was going to die. Uh, I really did think I was going to die. And I better get off that. <laughs> But the point is, is that after a few visits and actually spending time, we, we actually could jump on the subway. We were standing down in the subway waiting for our, our, our train to come in, and, and people would walk up to us and ask us, uh, is this the right train to get to such and such? Oh, no, actually, you need B. It's on the other side. If you hurry up, you can make it. We're not from there. Everyone thought, I'm like, it's probably because we didn't have a camera around our neck and a fanny pack on. 
we weren't tourists. Everyone assumed we lived there. And it was just like, well, we could tell them, yeah, if you go here and here and there. Actually, if you know what? When people would go visit, people would call and be like, hey, what, what restaurants do we hit up? Man, if you go over on 57th and you hit this and you go there, there's a little hole-in-the-wall restaurant. It was just we became familiar with it because we spent time there. And we would look around, and we would just take our time, and we'd get the map out on our phone, and, and we would walk around different places, and we, we could actually tell people how to get around by the time we were done. It became familiar to us. I'm trying to help us understand this morning that being familiar is not always a bad thing. It kind of came in handy. We didn't get lost on the subway this time. We knew where we were going. We were actually giving directions to people and helping other people out because we were familiar with the place. But being familiar does have hidden dangers. With familiarity comes the danger of something becoming commonplace or ordinary. That you know that we're familiar with it to the point that it is taken at face value. That you don't need to pay attention to it any longer because we assume we know all there is to know about it. The sense of wonder and the sense of awe has no longer been set aside. That when we become familiar with something, those things begin to fade away in the distance. That your reactions change that when you grow familiar to something and to someone. It's like that new husband that is just so overjoyed with his new wife that he doesn't care that she burnt the toast and it's black. Nope. You know what he does? He slaps on a half container of butter and he eats it and smiles. And says, thank you, babe. That was the best toast I've ever had. Oh, come on, I'm telling you. It's because his passion outweighs her mistakes. His passion. His love for her can overlook those things. His passion, his love, and his desire for her, he says, you know what? This is, it's so new and so strong. I don't care. I'm sitting down to breakfast with the one I love. I don't care if the eggs aren't made right. I don't care if the toast is burnt. I don't care. My dream has come true. I'm sitting here with the one I love. Who cares about this stuff? It's just little things. There was a day in every relationship it was like that. But I promise you that 10 years down the road that she still keeps burning that toast, his reaction will change and he'll politely ask, baby, why is the toast still being burnt? I still love you. But the toast is still burnt. And we're using a lot of butter. His reaction is not just going to be, well, you know, it's okay. She's a new wife. Maybe she's never made toast before. It's okay. It changes. What changed, though? What changed the reaction in him? Same woman, same man, same toast. What was it? He became familiar enough with her to say something. The newness had worn off. It had completely worn off. It was, a, I, he said, not that I don't love you anymore, but I'm familiar with you enough that I can actually speak up and say something. Proverbs 25, 16 says, Hast thou found honey? Eat so much as is sufficient for thee, lest thou be filled wherewith and vomit it. In other words, too much of a good thing is bad for you. It can be bad for you. If something is good, shouldn't more of it be better? Sounds logical, right? If I offered you the finest steak dinner right now, if I said, ushers, bring out the finest steak dinner. The top chef in the world has made this and put it on the altar. You would rush this altar. 
Maybe that's the key. I'm just. I told you I wasn't stepping on toes today. But you would rush the altar, right? You'd want it. What if I offered you, I always go here because it's so good. What if I offered you Sister Jody Tabby's fresh baked bread with a gallon of butter? Hold on, I'm not done yet. With a side of Sister Cece's cakes. I'm not done yet. And one of Sister Chapman's homemade pies. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But what if I told you there's a catch? What if I told you you could eat it, but you have to eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a solid year? You cannot have anything else. That's it. That's all you get. I know it sounds good, and right now you're saying, oh, yeah, bring it on, Pastor. I'm up for this challenge. I promise you that a couple months down the road, you're going to be like, nothing fits anymore for one thing. (laughs) You're going to be like, I remember that juicy steak you talked about. Nope, you can't have that. You still got 10 months of eating this. Too much of a good thing can become a bad thing. It's enticing to think about that. I know I, I'm certain that our taste buds would, would soon grow fatigued and we would long for variety. We would want something different because we'd grow too familiar with the taste of this amazing food. Listen to me. Familiar, familiarity is, is like the sea that kills the fishermen. Not too long ago this actually happened. That there was a fishing boat that was out doing their thing that they usually do. And one of the biggest storms that had come in years was creeping up on them. They were so familiar with what they were doing, they didn't take time to actually go and look at the radar. They thought, ah, it's just another one of those storms that's going to pass by. We'll be okay. That boat and everyone on it sank to the bottom by that storm because they were familiar with their surroundings and the familiarity is what got them this is the exact place the disciples found themselves with Jesus if you got your Bibles we'll go to Matthew 4 18 through 23 I love the sound of the rustling pages in a church hallelujah there, say amen. It says, and Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, verse 18, starting there, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from thence that he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them and they immediately left the ship and their father and they followed him. And Jesus went about all of Galilee teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manners of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. So picture this with me right now. They're in a familiar place with their father. They're in a familiar place with their brothers. They're doing what they know to do best. And here comes Jesus along and says, put down your nets. I've got something greater for you and come follow me. They gladly, that's their first experience, their first encounter with Jesus. Think about how excited they must have been. Hold up. This is Jesus? He, you want, we've heard of you. You want us to go with you? 
what are we? We're not anything special. He says, come follow me. Zebedee says, go. My boys, go. Go follow him. Go see what he does. Go, go, go with him. So they left everything they knew. They left their jobs. They left their finances. They left their families. Some were married. They left their wife at home. But this was something that was new to them. They'd never seen anything like Jesus. Their passion to serve him was at the highest level it could ever be because they realized who he was and they wanted to serve him. They wanted to be with him. They wanted to be around him any way they could help. They said, I'll leave anything behind if we'll follow you. Yes, I don't care. It doesn't matter what the cost is. We will follow you. We want to serve you. It was so new to them. They were following him no matter where he would go. Jesus, think about this, of what they got to witness. That Jesus turns water into wine at the wedding in Canaan. That Jesus heals the official son at Capernaum in Galilee. Jesus drives out an evil spirit from a man in Capernaum. That Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law sick with fever. That Jesus heals many sick and oppressed at evening. That for the miraculous, the first catch of fish on the lake. That Jesus cleanses a man of leprosy. Jesus heals the centurion's paralyzed servant in Capernaum. That Jesus heals the paralytic who was let down from the roof. Jesus heals a man's withered hand on the Sabbath. Jesus raises a widow's son from the dead. Jesus calms a storm on the sea. Jesus casts demons into a herd of pigs. Jesus heals a woman in the crowd with the issue of blood. Jesus raises Jairus' daughter back to life. Jesus heals two blind men. Jesus heals a man who was unable to speak. Jesus heals an invalid Bethesda that he he heals that Jesus feeds 5,000 plus. And they're witnessing this. They got to be a part of that. Could you imagine in that moment they're walking around and Jesus says, Jesus, all we have is just uh, just a little bit of bread, a little bit of fish. And he says, great, that's awesome. Let's bless it. Go out and break it and begin to hand it out. Could you imagine what it would be like when you break that bread and hand it into somebody's hand and you look back and it's there again. When you take one fish out and hand it and you look back and there's two more. What? How did this happen? They witnessed this firsthand. We read about it. They were a part of it. They weren't receiving. They were the one handing out. They were his assistants. They were his followers. They were there with him. They witnessed this take place. They saw Jesus walk on water. Jesus heals many sick. Jesus heals the Gentile woman's demon-possessed daughter. Jesus heals a deaf and dumb man. Jesus feeds 4,000 plus men and women. All these are in order in Scripture. And they're walking with him. They're with him every day. They see this every single day. It's not like they're passing through town. The people in town get to see it. And then they go to the next town and get to see it. These guys are with him day in, day out. When the crowd is gone, they're the ones sitting at his feet saying, teach us, master. Pour into us. Let me hear your voice. What what wisdom do you have to share with us today? They're the closest of the closest that could get to Jesus. They're the ones that when he just, he needed to shut away and kind of get, that they're, they're the ones that get to go with him. They're the ones that sit down and have dinner with him. It's them, the ones that are closest. They're very familiar with Jesus. They know him. They visit the places he's at. They walk with him and go to those places together. It it is them that we find in Luke chapter 18, which would be the next miracle in this order. If you want to turn there, you can. Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 27. It says, but he said, I'm reading from the New King James Version, but he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, See, we have left all 
and followed you. We left everything and we followed you. So he said to them, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left the house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. He was telling them, listen, the sacrifice you're making right now is very little to the reward you're about to get. So sometimes when you're struggling in this walk with God and you're struggling living this life as a Christian, I want you to remind yourself you're not living for what you have right now. You're living for what is to come. Your reward is not in your cars. It's not in your bank account. It's not in your house. It's not in those things you have in your house. It's not in any of that. But what what Jesus was saying, he said, you could leave all of that. And the reward that is coming to you is much greater than anything you could ever achieve down here. It says, then he took the 12 aside and he said to them, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And all things that are written, listen to this, all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. That caught their attention. They said, hold up. Did you hear that? I can imagine them talking. Did you hear that, Peter? Did you hear that? Did you hear what he said? All things that the prophets talked about, they're going to, it's going to come to pass. We're going to get to see this. They got excited. They thought he was about to establish his kingdom on earth. This is it. He's here. He's going to establish his kingdom. This is it. We get to be a part of this. How cool is this? We're going to Jerusalem. He's going to do it now. And they were so excited. That's all they cared about in that moment. Well, what was Jesus was about to do? Didn't care about anything else around them. Nobody else. They just said, we got to get to Jerusalem. Let's get him there so he can do this. Got to see the prophecies fulfilled. It says, for he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. And they shall scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. And they did not know the things which were spoken. They were confused of what was coming. They thought that Jesus was about to set up his kingdom right now. They didn't realize that he was getting ready to be tortured and taken to a cross and the resurrection. They didn't get that. That was all kind of just hidden from them. They, 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 they couldn't see it. They couldn't comprehend it. All they were so focused on was he's about to set up his kingdom. This is it. Boom. This is it. Let's start a party. Come on. The day has come. We weren't thinking about anybody else. After everything they had witnessed him do, Everything that they're convinced that he is going to establish his kingdom. They're no longer looking for the next miracle. They're not. Brother Brooks, they're not looking for what's going to happen next down the road. They're no longer concerned about those that may not have anything because uh, we got something we got to do. We got places we got to go. They're caught up. And what they want to happen instead of what Jesus wants to happen. Luke 18, 35 through 43 says, Then it happened, as he was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man, someone in the need of a miracle, sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked someone, What does this mean? What is happening right now? What what is all this chaos? What is all this noise that is going on? He couldn't see it, so he's asking somebody to be his eyes and tell me what's taking place. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And what does he do? He had heard of Jesus. Yes, he did, sir. Come finish the message. I love our kids. LP kids. My Lord, you're being taught. That's, come on now. 
So they tell him it was Jesus coming. And the blind man cries out, Jesus. Imagine if you're blind. This might be your one shot. He says, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. It says, then those who went before, think of this, the disciples, those who had seen everything before, they'd seen the miracles. They had watched all these things taking place. But they're so caught up in what they want to do. They go to him, and it says they went to him before Jesus got to him and said to him, be quiet. Be quiet. Don't bother the master. He's going to go establish his kingdom. He's got better things to do. He don't have time for miracles anymore. He ain't got time for broken people anymore. I'm sorry, but if you could just be quiet, we'd really appreciate that. Because we're heading to Jerusalem. We don't have time to stop. They didn't want anything to get in the way of what they wanted to see. They no longer desired to see miracles take place. Uh, we've been there, done that, already seen that. Blind man, oh, we've seen hundreds. We ain't got time for this. We don't have time for this. You know, that, be, that became old news to them. Been there, done that. Got the shirt and the matching hat. Nothing new to us. What is that? Is that a big miracle or something? Somebody gets held the blind? It's oh. The things of Jesus became boring to them. Their passion to serve others grew cold. It's the danger of being too familiar with something or someone too long. Familiarity breeds contempt. What's that mean, Pastor? Contempt means disregard for something that should be taken into account. Familiarity will, will make you walk past the broken and just keep walking. I mentioned the story earlier about the woman with the issue of blood that was broken on the side of the road had, had spent everything trying to find something. You realize that those who walked with Jesus just walked right by her like she didn't exist. They treated her like everybody else treated her. Their passion was growing cold because they were so familiar with it. I like what Moses said in Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 12. It says, so it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill. It says that hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards, and olive trees which you did not plant. And when you have eaten and are full, then be aware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Oh, bless the Lord. Oh, bless my soul. Oh, my soul. And forget not all his benefits. Listen to me this morning. We're sitting here as people, all of us, that we're living, we're living freedom that we did not pay for. We're living in freedom we did not pay for. We've got salvation that you did not pay for. You have blessings that you did not work for. That we get mercy that we don't deserve. But that's not the point that I'm trying to make today. God is faithful every day to give those things to us. But we must never allow the things of God to become boring unto us. 
We must never say, oh, we had another service and somebody else got the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Oh, somebody got the miracle today. Isn't that cute? No, 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 no. Every single time somebody goes down that water, we should be shouting. We should be worshiping God. When somebody gets the Holy Ghost, we should be just as loud as heaven rejoicing. When somebody gets the miracle, we should go tell everybody about it. And we should never, never be content with just one here and there but when it happens we should have something within us that says I gotta rejoice because if not it'll get old to me don't ever let God get boring don't ever let it get boring because when it gets boring what we'll do is we'll have those that'll come in and they'll be broken they'll be addicted to drugs or addicted to alcohol or they'll be addicted to so many things in this world and they're going to be broken they'll walk to an altar and if you're if God bores you you'll let them walk up here alone and you won't even pay attention to them you'll walk down the streets of this city or you'll sit next to people at school or in, in your, your place of work. People that are broken and they're silently crying out for something. And people that are not spirit-filled are not going to detect it. But when you're not bored with God and you're full of the Holy Ghost, that God can speak to you. Not the pastor, not one of the ministers. God can speak to you if you're full of the Holy Ghost and say that person needs you today. They need you to speak to them. Do not pass them by. Do not ignore them. Do not ignore them. Love them like I would love them. Give unto them like I would give unto them. My prayer today is... For somebody to let God restore your passion for souls. I pray that, that God would restore somebody's passion today for ministry that you used to have. You used to be so passionate about it because you loved what you did. You used to be so passionate about the individuals in this church. Passionate about souls and passionate about giving of time to ministry. You used to be so passionate about doing everything you could because it was so new to you. Somewhere along the way, God in ministry got boring. Don't ever let a miracle pass by where you don't praise God. Brother Sam, I don't know how I couldn't find you. It's not like you're like a little fella. I'm not going to share any details, but I just want to tell you right now, what God did for him. He had a $5,000 debt. In some way, somehow, God brought that $5,000 down to $1,200. That might not be big to you, but that's big to him. That's a big miracle. That's a big miracle. Let me tell you something right now. He was excited when he told me. Brother Sam, don't ever let that excitement wear off. Don't ever let that excitement wear off. If God gives you a dollar tomorrow, I want you to shop for the dollar. I don't care what it is. Every miracle from God deserves praise. Everything God does deserves praise. If you're here today and you've got breath in your lungs, you're still alive, then God deserves your praise today. He didn't have to wake you up this morning. He didn't have to allow you to have another day. He didn't have to allow you to come in here and worship him. He could have called you home this morning. But thank God he gave me another day. This is not boring. God is not boring. He deserves our praise. pray somebody would allow God to restore your love for him in these altars this morning. It's like I talked about any relationship you get in, if it is not maintained. That's why I've heard, I've asked, I asked not too long ago, there was a couple that celebrated 75 years 
in a nursing home. I saw them 75 years. And I looked at him. I said, what's the secret? He said, I never stopped dating her. Don't ever stop dating God. Don't get to the place. Remember that first time you met him? Remember that first time I was talking about? That's why I sang that song, Take Me Back. Because if we could frequently go back and visit the place where you first met him, I promise you all those feelings. Remember all those feelings? Remember husbands and wife when you first met that first place? I could take you to the place right now where I was sitting on the campgrounds on the platform when I looked down and I saw Sister B and I just felt something inside of me. I said, oh my Lord, she's beautiful my goodness and we were sitting at the campgrounds and a lot of stuff happened at the campgrounds hallelujah that place is anointed thank you Jesus at the campgrounds we were sitting in the dining room one day I could take you to the spot where we were sitting and it was a Holy Ghost experience everyone else in that room disappeared and I have used Hollywood talks about that the Holy Ghost did it I'm telling you and we knew in that moment Sister Brooks, that was a big amen. Y'all had that experience, didn't you? I know y'all did. She said, amen. Thank you, Jesus. But you know what I'm talking about. It's not no Hollywood movie. I felt the Holy Ghost. She felt the Holy Ghost. And she went home that day and said, Mom, I met my husband. And she's, Sure. She was 16 years old, 16 years old, and went home and said, I met my husband today. I'm telling you, there was something. I, I could take you back to that place. And I promise you, anytime I'd go to that place uh, and those memories would come up, uh, it's just, oh, man, you remember that, babe? Remember that moment when we had that, that moment right there when, when God was moving? I could take you to the platform where we, we, were, we were dating, and she was playing the keyboard, and we did music one year together. And I walked up behind her and laid hands on her and, and began to pray for her. I remember what I felt in that moment uh, that our pastor said that from the pews he looked up and he said, that is going to be a couple used by God. He said, that is anointed right there. He said, that, that's going to be used. He, I, I remember those moments. And if I go back to those moments, I'm telling you, it does something inside of me. That it's just the same way that if you would find yourself in an altar, not just once a year or not just every once in a while, but if you would frequent an altar and go back to the place where you found him for the first time, your passion for him would be renewed. Your love for him would be renewed. Your passion for souls would be renewed and you don't give room for him to ever come boring in your life. Don't ever give room. Don't ever stop dating God. You got to keep that love for him fresh and new every day because when he wakes up, when he gets up in the morning, the sun comes up, he brings the sun up, he looks at you and says, I love you. I love you. I love you. But too many days go by where we get up and go about our business and we forget him. We've got to restore it. We've got to restore our love for him. We've got to restore that passion. We've got to restore it. I know where God has taken us as a church. And God is saying, I'm taking you there. You're going there. We're going to get there. He said, but i got to make sure. Don't ever let me get boring in this church. Don't ever come in and go through the motions. Don't ever come in and say, well, I got to go to church this morning, or I got to go serve, or I got to go open the door for people, or I got to go teach Sunday school, or I got to go play an instrument. I got, no, 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 no. You should get up on Sunday morning and say, oh, I get to go worship him. I get to, I get to serve in ministry. I get to minister to the kids. I get to minister to the youth. I get to play. I get to use my talent that God gave me. I get to give it back to him in praise. I get to. Because if you look at it any other way, it's going to become boring. But if you look at it as praise and worship unto him, I promise you the treasures that you're going to receive there is much greater than you'll ever receive here on earth. Woo! Let's all stand. Musicians can come. God, take me to a place this morning. 
a place of remembrance and a place of restoration. I know there are people in this place that you need restoration in your walk with God. You need restoration in your love with Him. You need restoration in your relationship with Him this morning. Someone needs to cry out, God, take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, to that place where I first received you. God, take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, where I first believed in you, where I first met you. God, take me back to that moment and restore the feeling that I had that day. God, when I left the church that day, God, I, I was on fire. I wanted to go win souls. I wanted to tell everybody about it. God, but I find myself now, Lord, going through weeks and weeks and weeks. God, never even opening your word and not talking to you or talking to anybody about you. God, restore in me today the passion. God, don't ever... God, please, don't let me make this boring that I neglect what you've called me to do. Remember your first time at the altar. The first time you cried to him. This morning, I want us all to close our eyes. If you're in this place this morning, and this is hitting you right now, and you say, Pastor, I, I just, I need, I need restored. I need my relationship restored. I, I, I need to feel him like I haven't felt him in a long time. Don't, don't feel bad. No one's going to look at you in any different way if you step out right now. Because in reality, we all should be stepping out right now and coming to an altar and saying, God, take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, to that place. Can I have anybody who will be honest this morning and say, I need restored, Pastor. God, I need restored. God, restore me today. Restore my passion. God, restore my love for you. God, take me back, God, to the feelings that I had when I first received you, Lord. When I first received the Holy Ghost, God. When I was baptized and came out of the water, Lord, and all my sins were washed away, take me back to that moment, God, and remind me, God, of how good you are and restore my soul today. Restore my soul. Anybody want your soul restored today? Anybody want your relationship restored today? Anybody want your love restored today for the Lord? Then find a place to pray right now all over this place. Come on, make your pew an altar. Make your pew an altar. Get down and pray. Begin to talk to him. God, I need you. I need you, God. Take me back, take me back, take me back, oh 